0: Good morning. morning. Yes, you got to be alive. And he's boring a hole right through the back of my head, isn't he? He can't stand long introductions. He can't stand any introductions. And I'm going to make him stand there and listen to this. I prepared something brilliant. Am I going to be the preacher this morning? (laughs) Okay, now listen. Uh, we, We were making this a year of commitment and and one of the things is marriage we really wanted to bless the marriages of Valley View and and as the elders and I were talking about this I said you want to bless the marriages of Valley View here's how you do it one big tool to do to use is Jerry and Lynn Jones now if you go down to Harding and you see on this wall of great preachers at Harding you're gonna see the Ken Neller and you're gonna see Neil Pryor anybody heard of these people Jimmy Allen anybody heard of these people and you're also gonna see Jerry Jones one of the best preachers I've ever heard, and I'm not just saying that because he's standing right here, uh, but, but I'm going to tell you this, is all his experience of preaching and teaching and all this stuff, the heartbeat of this is Lynn Jones. Amen. Those of you who were in the class with the ladies know this. You guys don't know this yet, and one of the blessings of this is that you get a male and a female perspective, and this week, do not fail to come and g- glean from this. Guys... You need to come and hear what Lynn has to say, ladies you do too, and you need to hear both of them, but I'm just saying they're a great blessing. She's got a master's in clinical psychology, she's been a counselor, she's been a ladies minister, children's minister, everything that you can possibly think of, and they're here with us this week. And don't miss a thing, but before he speaks, we're going to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you grateful for this great creation of marriage that you've given us and relationships with other people. We know it is not good for us to be alone. Whether we're married or not, it is not good for us to be isolated and solitary in this life. Mm-hmm. And what we ask is that you work through Jerry and Lynn this week, that you work through our hearts, help us not to accept relationships that are good enough, to not re- accept relationships that are as they are, but to, act, but to ask for nothing less than what you intend them to be, God-honoring, God-glorifying exhibits in this world of the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. And I pray that you bless Jerry with powerful words. Bless us with receptive hearts. Help us to ask for everything that you intend to give us and accept nothing less. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Woo! I'm anxious to hear what I'm going to have to say after that introduction. Your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Before we get there, we're going to walk you through what we're going to be doing this week. If you open up your bulletin, you have a complete schedule there. We have a number of these out in the foyer. I know you've seen them before. You probably hand them out to people. Pick up a few more today and hand them out, and it'll be a benefit to them. As uh, Spencer's already indicated, we've already started. Uh, Lynn taught the women. Uh, Ladies, can I get a report? How'd she do? You raise two fingers, or you know, what do you do here, you know? I'm going to assume she did all right. Is that a good assumption, ladies? Good, thank you very much. Gentlemen, I'm not going to ask you how I did. We'll leave that alone. All right, this afternoon at 2.30, we're going to start a recovery from death and divorce. Folks, in every church, you've experienced death and divorce. How do you minister to people who've gone through death and divorce? Well, what do you say to them? How do you work with them? Every marriage ends in death or divorce, so how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to work with it? What we're going to do this conference is not just give you information. We're going to give you some training on how to reach other people and how to work with other people. Parenting 101 at 3.30. Parenting is a tough deal today. I talked to a man in my Bible class just here. He talked about his mother-in-law is dealing at age 70 with a 12-year-old. We're dealing with grandparents rearing grandchildren. These young people, parents, in case you haven't figured out, are facing problems and difficulties and challenges unlike we have ever seen. In my opinion, right now is probably the toughest time to rear children that I have ever known. The principles that worked with your rearing might not work with your children today without some adaptation. That's why Parenting 101 is so important. You say, well, all my kids are grown. What about your grandchildren? Don't we have a responsibility? Surely we do. We're going to feed you, it says, a light supper. What that light means, I don't know, but that's what it's going to be. At 530, I'm going to solo God's ideal marriage. What should it be? 6.30, 6 30, Lynn's gonna join me then and talk about a fare proof in your marriage. You say, Well, boy, I'll never need that one. I suggest you not say that. We deal with a lot of people, good, dedicated, godly people, with tears streaming down their faces saying, We thought we'd be the last person to ever talk to you about this. We're going to give you a six-step model on how good people make bad choices. Tonight, I guarantee you, we will save either you or somebody you know from making a bad choice. You say, well, I don't believe it ever happened. What about your friends? We need to see signs. Usually when this happens, and I talk to the friends, well, we should have seen it coming. Maybe you didn't know. Then we're going to talk about how to strengthen your marriage and make it stronger than ever before. So that's very important then at 630. Monday night, we're going to start back at 6.30 on Please Listen to Me. We're going to deal with communication. We're going to deal with how not to communicate. In fact, we're going to have a fight in this building Monday night. I mean, if WWE is the place that you like to have on channel, and John Cena and the big show are your heroes, you come here. We're going to deal with anger not anger management how to cut the cancer out everybody in this room has anger the question is how do we deal with it we're going to deal with depression on wednesday night you see this conference is not just about marriages it's about people that's why we changed it from marriage matters to relationships matter because we deal with a lot of things that are not related to marriage what about addictions what about family of origin what about depression Uh, all these things that we need to be equipped to do. And that's why we changed the whole approach that we did to it. Tuesday night, unrealistic expectations, two biggies, sexuality and finances. How do you maintain sexual passion throughout the length of the marriage? When I announce that that's what we're going to deal with on Tuesday night, the men usually punch the wives and say, we're coming Tuesday. We're not missing this one. Then we're going to deal with addictions in general, pornography specifically. Folks, what we're saying is age appropriate. Every young person in this church needs to be here for that second session for sure on Tuesday night because the addiction to pornography usually begins in the preteen or teen years. Parents, these young people are two clicks away from a pornographic site. Now you can stick your head in the sand and say, well, my kids will never do that. That's not a problem for me. Folks, it's a problem in our world. You'd have to be living under a rock someplace not to know the problem with pornography. In our experience, we're talking 2,000 counseling appointments. Pornography is the most pervasive sin among conservative religious people. I can pretty well guarantee you that in this room, at this hour, I'm dealing with men and some women that are addicted to pornography. As I told the men in Bible class, you're not a bad person. You've made a bad choice. But to continue to make a bad choice is where the problem is. Wednesday night, loving your mate through the seasons of life, part one, part two. How do you go from year one to year 50? I'll always remember Spencer. I think it was in South Arkansas. We were doing a conference And a man ran up to me and he said, I know what the seasons of life are. I said, what are they? He says, turkey season to deer season. (laughs) Well, that's not what we have in mind. You're going to find our conference hard-hitting, informative, and even humorous at times. I don't know if you realize this, but people pay hundreds of dollars to come to things like this. But these elders, in their great vision, said, hey, we're going to have this. We're going to offer it free, not only to our members, but also our visitors. And we have a number of those with us today. Avail yourself and really make a difference. What we deal with is how are we going to go through life. Jesus comes up to a man who's been to England for 38 years. He said, do you want to get well? Strange question. What does he do? The first thing he does, he blames somebody else, why he's not well. In this room tonight, today, you have dealt with forgiveness, you've had resentment, maybe you've been abused verbally, maybe you've been abused sexually, and you're having struggles and difficulties. What this conference is about is help you to grow up emotionally and spiritually. That's what it's about. This is going to be, as we think, a turning point, basically, in your life. To be honest with you, if Lynn and I did not believe that what we're doing is making a difference, we would quit and do something else. We believe that this conference is making a difference in the lives of people. And I'm just urging you to see it as a top priority. Now, when we started this ministry a number of years ago, I sat down with Lynn and I said, Lynn, I said, um, in your work as a psychotherapist, what have you found to be the major issue? Now, to be quite honest with you, when I met Lynn, I didn't know she was a psychotherapist. In fact, when we met, she said, hi, how are you? I said, fine. She said, why do you feel that way? (laughs) What do you mean, why do I feel that way? By the way. We do free, confidential, no-cost counseling. On Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we do it at the Hilton where we're staying, so body will know that you had counseling from us. If you're interested in one of these sessions, two qualifications. One, you have to attend all the conference up to the time of your appointment. And two, you have to be serious about making some changes in your life. If you're willing to meet those two qualifications, you see Lynn, She'll give you an assignment, and she'll give you time, and we'll try to work with you. Obviously, in the two days, we're very limited on the number of people we can see, but you want to talk to her and see what's available. I said, Lynn, what have you found in your counseling and work to be the major issue? She said, the major issue in most families, marriages, and even some churches is selfishness. Now I want you to think right now of a problem that you have had at work, in your family, in your marriage, or in this church that selfishness was not the answer to it. So we feel that the problem is people marry with the wrong mindset. People many times marry for what they can get rather than what they can give. Now think about that you don't marry for what you can get, you marry for what you can give. If you have two people that get married for what they can get rather than what they can give, essentially you have two ticks and no dog. Do you understand that in Arkansas? Spencer, I was in New York last year, and when I said that, they just looked at me. They didn't know what a tick was. They thought a tick was some kind of a physical problem. No, a tick. That's why I love Arkansas. A a tick's in this for what they can get rather than what they can get. Right, church? Right? Okay. So here again, the foundation many times of a marriage or relationship is wrong because it starts out wrong. And you know enough about building that if you don't have a good foundation, your superstructure is going to have problems. Consequently, then, that's why the servant heart is the foundation to everything we want to do. Let's begin with the basis for servanthood. I'm in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, I'm in verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, on the road, they had argued about who is the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be very last, a servant of all. Jesus says, if you're interested in greatness, greatness is not found in how many people serve you, but how many people you serve. Turn over to chapter 10. In chapter 10, Jesus basically says the same thing. James and John get in a little dispute about greatness. What does Jesus say verse 43 Not so with you instead whoever wants to become great whoever whoever wants to become uh, great among you you must be a servant whoever wants to be first must be very the slave of all Look at verse 46 For even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many Jesus says I am willing to model exactly what I want from you Now, why does Jesus have to repeat the same lesson twice? Because they weren't listening the first time. Having a servant heart really is not by nature we have that. Now, there are a few people that are that way. But generally speaking, we are selfish people. Jesus calls us to live a life that's not natural it's not natural to be poor in spirit it's not natural to turn the other cheek it's not natural to pray for your enemies and by nature we're basically not servants but that's the life that Jesus calls us to live what about the life of Jesus does it not show the importance of servanthood absolutely Jesus washed the disciples feet all the disciples including Judas Several years ago, a preacher called me and he said, I want to take you to breakfast and I'm going to pay for it. Let me tell you something about preachers. When the preacher calls you and he says he's taking you to breakfast and you're paying for it, you're in trouble. You got that? So I went to breakfast. Halfway through it, the man looked at me and he said, are there any people in your life whose feet you would not wash? I thought about that. I thought of two or three, and right away, I'd like to take a steel brush to. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. What about the early church? Did not the early church show the importance of servanthood? Yes, it does. Now, let's get down to the issue here. What's the problem? What's the problem in servanthood? You pretty well have figured it out, and that is selfishness. Selfishness. I was in a gospel meeting in Canton, Ohio. And after services, a lady came up to me and said, my husband and I are having difficulties. Would you counsel with us? I said, okay, I'll give it my best shot. So along with her husband, we went to one of the side classrooms, sat down, closed the door, and she began telling me their problem. I listened very intently. When she got through, the man literally raised his hand, saying, "May may I say something? And I said, yes. He began telling me how he saw the problem which was not exactly what she had said then when he finished they got in an argument that's not what you said it is too what you said you told my mother i didn't even speak to your mother you did it i mean this is big time stuff so i thought better kick in my counseling techniques so i looked at them and i said i know some things that would help you they just kept on arguing well i know some things that would make a difference they just kept on going Nothing that my books I'd read and those teachers I had, none of that stuff worked. When my education seemingly is not working, I have a tendency to go back to my roots. You say, what are your roots? I grew up in inner city St. Louis. I'm a ghetto kid at heart. So I looked right at them and I said, shut up. First one opens their mouth, I'm going to bust them. Now, if you ever studied counseling very much, you've never heard that approach. (laughs) All right, gang, I did say, shut up, okay? Please do not go home and repeat that ever again. That's not a cool thing to do, only in that situation, because it worked, okay? They shut up. Their eyes looked at me that big, nobody ever said that before. I looked right at the lady. I said, Lady, lady, your problem is selfishness. Will you believe the man was so insightful? He said, That's right. We're going to work on this today, this week. I looked to the man. I said, I want you to go out and get a long stem red rose. One, uno, bring it home to this woman. I felt a need to be very specific with him. Lady, you act like you've never seen a rose before, which was probably true. Give him his favorite dessert, sloppy kiss, something. All right. Got up to preach the next night, and I always put my Bible up in front. I've always done that. I put my Bible up there. It was a piece of candy wrapped up in a baggie. And uh, Spencer will tell you, you hang around pulpits, you can find some strange stuff. I don't see much of it around here, but people put notes up there. One man put his watch up there, didn't think I owned one. Now, what's so funny about that? Spencer didn't tell you, did he? My nickname at home is Pharaoh, because I won't let the people go. Hope you think that's funny at noon. <laughs> Piece of candy wrapped up in a bag. So I pulled the preacher's side. I said, Where'd the candy come from? He said, Ray brought it by. Now, Ray's this guy I'm working with. He said, Give you this message. I said, What's the message? He said, You tell Jones I didn't get roses like he told me to, but I got chocolate covered cherries instead because I like those better. He didn't get it, did he? He didn't get it. Selfishness. Next, what about family of origin? Now, this is a biggie in our conference. Now, listen to me carefully, class. You will be in your relationships today what you saw modeled in your family of origin unless you make a conscious effort to change. Do you hear that? You will be today in your relationships what you saw modeled in your family of origin unless you make a conscious effort to change. If you doubt what I've said, have you ever said something to your children, sounded like your mother or your father, and you swore up and down that you'd never say that to your children, and that's exactly what you did? Unfortunately, many of us came from what I call highly dysfunctional homes. I don't like the word dysfunction. I think we're all dysfunctional just a matter of degree. But you see, what was modeled for you was not a healthy relationship. Even though your mom and dad were married, they did not have a healthy marriage. Maybe you grew up in a single-parent family. Maybe you grew up in a step-parent family. Maybe you grew up in a foster family. And see, your problem today is you don't know what healthy should be like. And the problem is you're taking the same dysfunction you grew up with and you're having it in your home and you're passing it on to your children. Now, I'm not knocking our parents. Let's cut them some slack. They did the best they could. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't have a good model. But ladies and gentlemen, it's high time that we go back and find out what a marriage and a home should look like. We've got to see that. And that's what is so challenging this week. Because we're going to have to undo some of your thinking. Because your thinking maybe might not be what it needs to be. You say, Jerry, got any hope? Absolutely, your Bible's are open to Ephesians 5. I don't know of a scripture that tells us more about relationships than does Ephesians 5. Paul will talk beginning in verse 22 about husbands and wives in chapter 6 he'll talk about fathers and children and then he'll begin and also in chapter 6 slaves and masters. Three relationships, husband's wife, father's children, slaves and masters. Now In Paul's Greco-Roman world he was going against the grain of what was accepted in those relationships in his day. In his day the teaching by way of a Greek philosopher by the name of Aristotle that was adopted in Roman culture, Aristotle in order to bring unity in a greek city said that the father the husband is lord master over wives children and slaves that's what he said would create unity that same philosophy then was adopted 300 years later And so Paul then is going against that kind of philosophy in order to try to help these young Christians find out what relationships were all about. When he talks about the fathers and the children, in that day, the fathers did not teach the children. That was the job of the slaves. One out of every three or one out of every four individuals in Paul's world was a slave or a servant. In most cases, they were not treated very well. Paul then comes in with this section of Scripture, which is dynamite, folks. And he is going against the cultural understandings of that day. For instance, in chapter 6, when he tells the slaves to obey your masters with respect and fear, that was going against what was going on when he tells the masters to treat your slaves in the same way, verse nine, that was against what was going on. So Paul in this section of scripture, which is a important section, is going against what they were being taught and was going against their cultural understandings. Now listen carefully. It is my firm conviction that we have allowed the world humanism socialism existentialism whatever it might be influence our marriages even in the church and we have created marriages that are basically not biblical you say well I'm not sure about that okay when we go through this text then you're going to have to decide whether your marriage today is biblical or not i can't decide that for you but i know this scripture is correct now how do we start we start in verse 21. verse 21 controls what paul's going to do even into chapter 6. submit to one another out of a reverence for christ now let that sink in submit to one another now he begins with the relationships first of all he's going to talk about husbands and wives now how is he going to deal with this with people that have come out of paganism and mom and dad was still around the pagan temple what he did which was really amazing he created an analogy the analogy was jesus in the church analogous to husband and wife now let's go through jesus in the church church is from him i'm the vine and you're the branches our goal then is to grow up into him. Chapter 4 and verse 15, if you want a verse. How does the body of the church fit into this? Let's go back to Ephesians. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. He doesn't say the church does the saving, but he says the body is the means by where Jesus does his work as Savior and Redeemer. Church is very important in Paul's thinking. Read the whole book of Ephesians. Now, what is the attitude toward the church? Look at the next verse. Now, as the church submits to Christ, question, folks, why do we submit to Christ? You say, well, because we have to. No, we submit to Christ because we want to. Until have to Christianity becomes want to Christianity, you don't get it. God did not come to change our conduct. He came to change our character. Jesus did not come to change what we did. He came to change what we wanted to do. Jesus did not come to change our diets. He came to change our appetites. That's what it's all about. Now there's something I don't understand that I have watched for 60 plus years. How can a person commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, realize that all that Jesus Christ has done for them Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and go out and be the same person as they came in. Folks, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Let me show you a passage that I think is very important. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. In Galatians 4 and verse 19, it reveals for us the heart of Paul's ministry. Look at verse 19. My dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth, watch your Bibles, until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, what I am about with new Christians is getting Christ formed in you. My question for you today to contemplate is Christ being formed in you. Honestly, folks, if we come together Sunday after Sunday, sing songs and pray prayers and do the Lord's Supper, and Christ is not being formed in us, I suggest we're wasting our time, wasting our time. Well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. That might be true. But there's a possibility you've been a Christian one year 50 times. Because you see, folks, if nothing changes, if our attitudes are the same, if our conduct's the same, then something somewhere is missing. Christ loved the church. Love the church. Does he love the church in good days? Yes. Bad days? Yes. In between days? Yes. God's love for you has never been based upon who you are. It's based upon who he is. That's why unless we have a healthy view of how God loved us, we don't have a benchmark down here to love one another. And a lot of times the relationships down here are messed up because we don't understand this. Lynn and I get it all the time in counseling. I don't believe I'm good enough to be saved. My response to that is, what else is new? You're not saved because you're good. You're saved because God's good. It's like the preacher gets a picture made for the church directory. He looks at the picture, calls the photographer in, and says, this picture doesn't do me justice. Photographer says, you don't need justice. You need mercy. I don't know if that would apply here or not, but you'll have to figure that out yourself. So a healthy view of this works this way. Now, what's the analogy? All right, the analogy is, first of all, wife came from the husband. How do I know? I've read the book of Genesis. What is their goal? The goal is to become one flesh. Look at verse 32. This is verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, Is that talking about a sexual union there? I'm sure that's implied. I don't believe that exhausts the metaphor. He's talking about one in heart and purpose in mind. And let me tell you something, it's difficult to be one in heart and purpose of mind with somebody who doesn't serve the same Lord. That's why I tell our young people, don't you even entertain the thought of marrying somebody that Jesus Christ is not the heart, core and center of that person's life. If you decide that, there's a good possibility you're going to be in a mismatch the rest of your life. If that's what you want, that's your business. We counsel young people all the time. I said, why are you planning to get married? Well, Brother Jones, we're in love. I usually say, well, good. Write this one down, folks. There are a lot of people you can love you have no business marrying. And our young people can't get that. Nearly every place I go, I'll have a person go out, usually it's a lady, saying, I married a non-Christian, and don't you stop preaching what you're preaching, because I've paid that price. We need to go back. There is not a scripture in this whole Bible that justifies a Christian married a non-Christian. It's not in there, folks. Now, you can do it if you want to. But you can't say the Bible said I could. Am I saying you cannot have a great marriage? That's not what I said. I know some non-Christians have better marriages than some Christians. I know that for a fact. What's interesting, these non-Christians are practicing Christian principles. And maybe they don't even realize that. One in heart and purpose of mind. Now, what's the attitude here to the wife? Let's read on. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit to their husbands and everything. They say, what does that mean? Listen carefully. If a wife can perceive that her husband is functioning out of servant leadership, that he's in this marriage to give and to sacrifice even his own life if necessary, asking nothing in return, submission to that kind of leadership is not a problem. But if she sees him as the top CEO and she's the employee, he is always right, she is always wrong. It's either his way or the highway. Submission to that kind of leadership is nigh impossible. Now, gentlemen, I don't know what kind of leadership model you have in your home today. Only you know that. But if your leadership model is not found in this book and in the person of Jesus Christ, I'm suggesting that leadership needs to change post-haste this day translated gentlemen that means when you go home today if you've not been leading your wife like the Bible says the first thing you need to do today is apologize to her to her for your non-Christ like leadership and if your children are any ages at all I suggest you apologize to them for the example that you have given you say, what'd you say what part of that did you not understand When our young people go wrong do we not ask them to repent and apologize and go the right direction yes if they don't see mom and dad doing the same thing how can you expect our young people to do it now ladies i'm not letting you off the hook you see as he has to maintain the servant life then you have to maintain the servant life and when you have two people Again, not going into what they can get, but they're going into what they can give, and both of them have a servant like mindset, folks. I can hold the relationship together. But the problem is what's going on. Now, gentlemen, I know what I've just said. Probably, well, I've never heard that before. It doesn't matter. Is it in this book? This book is my GPS. I'm sorry. We ask our religious neighbors and friends, go buy this book. We say, that's what you ought to do. Go what the Bible says. I'm for that 100%. But what about our marriages? If our marriages are not fine, you see what's happened? Well, that's the way my daddy treated my mother. That's what I'm telling you. That's family of origin. Folks, all I'm doing today is to take you back to this book. If I'm wrong, correct me. I am part of a fellowship that wants to go by what the Bible says. Am I not? Hello? Nobody even amen that, huh? Well, I'll amen it because I think it's good preaching. You see what I mean? We've got to go back to what the book says. And we need to make those changes. This book is not a book of information. It's a book on transformation. That's what it's all about. We are being transformed daily we're being changed why because we see the life of jesus and that's our model that's our standard that's our example and that's the reason we want to go that way well how are we going to do this thing number one the nature of marriage again it's mutuality again if you see marriage as a boss who's boss who's ceo who runs the show You don't get it. Folks, it's just not in this book. It's not there. We have allowed the world to dictate to us how we ought to do this thing. And I'm saying, let's go back and let the Bible dictate. Amen? That's all I'm asking. If I'm asking something that's not in the Bible, stop me. You you don't have a responsibility. But if it's in this book, I'm sorry. You have a responsibility and I do too. Holiness. Spencer, I read this text for a long time and didn't realize that holiness is heart core. When Paul talks about marriage, he doesn't talk about convenience. He doesn't talk about pleasure. Just read your Bible. Husbands love your wife just as, underscore that, just as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. The cry that Lynn and I have heard for 22 years folks across this country is that I wish my husband from the women I wish my husband was the spiritual leader of our family. I wish he would set the tone. Gentlemen step up to the plate. This week is a test case. How important are these next four days? I am convinced, generally speaking, we do what we want to do. That's just the nature. That's who we are. Let this be important. I will guarantee you, if you come every night, you will learn something you need to apply to yourself or apply to somebody you know. That's very, very important. Holiness. Next. Next see the marriage especially or or any other relationships as an opportunity to grow your friends you pick your friends and hopefully they will help you grow now if you pick your friends that are not going to help you grow they're going to take you down the hill you need to change friends In in a marriage you need to encourage one another lynn has encouraged me spiritually i've encouraged her spiritually it's not a competitive type of situation and finally, any marriage, any relationship needs to be is this pleasing to Christ? Is this what Christ would want me to do? Now, the very simple bottom line of this thing is found in the book of Philippians. Paul works with a church that there are two Christian sisters, Eotoki and Syneki, not getting along. Can you imagine a church where two women don't get along? Probably never heard of that, did you? Well, it happened in the Church of Philippi. What was the answer to that? He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What, What would make a difference in your life, in the life of this church, if everybody had the mind of Jesus? You see what I mean? And you see, we need to have Christ formed in us. Years ago... I was driving down the road and I heard a man on the radio and he raised the question, What are the most difficult years of a marriage? And before I could think of the answer, What are the most difficult years of a marriage? he said, The most difficult years of a marriage are those after the wedding. <laughs> That's pretty simple, isn't it? Nothing runs without maintenance your car, your body, your house. What we are about this week is maintenance. Helping you to learn, helping you tune up some things, make them better than what they are. Folks, I don't know how you can face each day without having Jesus as your friend. I really don't. I don't know how you can face life without realizing that Christ is the answer to your life. You've tried everything else, But you fail to go to the very place that you need to go. You say, Jerry, you're talking about my heart now. That's right. If we get our hearts tuned to God and tuned to the mind of Christ, everything else will fall in place. You're here and your marriage is struggling. Maybe you are struggling. What I like about this church, it's a reputation it has. It's concerned about people. They want to pray with people, minister to people, counsel people. That's what it's all about. But they're not mind readers they don't know what you're struggling with until they find out maybe you've thought about becoming christian or maybe you became a christian years ago and you just scrapped it or you go to church you got church membership but you really don't have christianity you really haven't decided whether or not jesus is the lord of your life if any of these questions make any sense to you if we can help you with any of these questions we're here to do that let it be known by coming we stand and say
0: your bed.